Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is Tuesday, September 12th, 2017, and I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. And today is the Feast of St. Autonomous. So all of those out there who think they're autonomous or know someone that's autonomous, you have a patron saint. And Autonomous was from Italy originally, and he went to the Asian province of Bithynia. Uh, which if you uh, do a little research, you'll find that it's the area around what is now Istanbul, was Constantinople about uh, 50 to 100 years after he was dead. He uh, ministered there and converted a lot of people. And uh, when he was there, he, he, in the main city that uh, is now a suburb of Istanbul uh, under a different name, uh, he converted, went to the next village over and started converting people, and the pagans got angry and certainly didn't like it at all, came to his church, the church of St. Michael the Archangel, while he was saying mass and murdered him, just like happened to Oscar Romero. And like happened to Father Jacques Camel. Oh, yes. A few last year in Paris. Yes. Not, not Paris, but in France. So those of you that uh, want to look this up, you can Google him. You will find more information about St. Autonomous uh, from the Orthodox Church, since Constantinople is the primary church for all of Orthodoxy, or if you go to some site for uh, the Eastern Rite of the Catholic Church. He's much more known that, that for that. And today, also in that part of the world, this is they celebrate the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which we celebrated about four days ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And today is the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. Indeed. And a great little pious practice to do tonight is recite the litany of Loretto, all of her traditional names. Okay. Or read that today. Okay. Remember her name. And one, one thing that I want to mention before we, we talk a little bit about Red Sea itself is... Uh, there is an excellent opportunity for some male bonding between fathers and sons coming up, and it is sponsored by Texas Conquest, which I, is an outreach of the Legionaries of Christ, which I think is also a part of uh, Regnum Christi, which is one of their ministries. I'm not quite sure how that all works together. But on October 13th to 15th, they will be having a father-son camp out in Buddha. And for more information on this, you can go to texasconquest.com. That's texasconquest.com. And this is for boys five and up and their father with their fathers or they're the, the, they're the person that is the male in their lives. And uh, for more information, you can, you can contact Steve Kylan, Ken Kynlan, and uh, he is at Steve Steve K. Kynlan, that's K-I-E-N-L-E-N at yahoo.com, or just go to the website. I'm sure there's information there. So uh, that's, from what I understand, uh, Texas Conquest is an excellent thing for young men uh, to make sure that they stay, are Catholic and stay Catholic and know what it means to be a Catholic young man. Yes, and my 
we've had the uh, the oldest son of ours go to their summer camp the last two summers. Um, he has just loved it. All the all the activities that they do and the the fun and games that they do and how they weave in um, good virtuous virile living for uh, <laughs> okay. a young a young guy. So it's okay. it's good stuff. Okay, one other thing that I want to mention is that uh, the 40 Days for Life campaign is coming up in a couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. starting again. And this will be the largest campaign they've ever had. There will be 375 cities involved. And if you uh, follow anything from 40 Days for Life, you can see that they've had significant victories in the last year or two. And that, again, is 40daysforlife.com. Indeed. indeed. A couple of other local uh, events happening here in Bryan College Station uh, this week. We've got our own Susan Groeschel Lovelet, uh, our fabulous volunteer. She's going to be performing a musical program uh, of of prayer for mercy and peace. She'll be singing a lot of traditional Marian hymns um, in offering prayer for the victims of the, the hurricanes recently, and it's going to be on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, which is Friday, the 15th of September, this Friday. And then on Thursday, the 14th, which is the Exaltation of the Holy Cross uh, over at St. Thomas Aquinas as well, uh, there'll be the offering of the extraordinary form of the Mass um, solemn high mass by Father Albert LaFerre to celebrate that feast day. So that's both at St. Thomas Aquinas. Both of those events are at 7 p.m. One thing that we have to discuss is yes. what's happening with Red Sea Radio, Bryan College Station in October. Indeed. Yeah, in, uh, in October, October 19th is our sixth annual Red Sea Catholic Radio Benefit Dinner here in the Brazos Valley. Uh, And interestingly enough, or apropos for today, that it's the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary, our our benefit dinner. Gosh, I'm really tripping over my words today, Gene. I don't know what is going on. I'm having a hard time. Maybe your tongue didn't get enough rest last night. Maybe so. (laughs) Um, But we're, we're offering that benefit dinner to... Honor Mary. And the theme is going to be Mary, Mother of the Domestic Church, which is a kind of an adaptation of one of her most traditional names and titles, Mother of the Church. And our apostolate is radio, um, religious education for the domestic church. That's where we get Red Sea from. Okay. And who is the keynote speaker for this? This is a guy that's not going to be tripping over his words when he comes to speak to us on uh, Thursday, yet. October 19th. This is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, uh, the dynamic deacon is is his appellation, and he is uh, going to give a very fiery, intense talk, uh, get you out of your seats and get you, get you going, uh, talking about Mary, the rosary, uh, and her role in uniting the family. If anybody doesn't know about uh, Deacon Harold, uh, I would suggest that you Google him. And those of you who are on Formed from uh, any of the parishes, uh, one of his uh, t- books is there. And Harold, Deacon Harold has a particularly strong ministry to men. Yes. 
And so uh, men out there that are listening or women who wishes their wish wish their men were listening, uh, uh, look up Deacon Harold. And even if you're in Waco or Palestine or somewhere else, he is somebody worth coming to hear. Yes, his book is Behold the Man. It's a uh, a guide for male spirituality. It's a call to action for male spirituality. His website is deaconherald.com. And he's also a big, big supporter of Catholic Radio. He's on Catholic Radio up in Portland, Oregon. He's, he's a deacon in the Diocese of Portland, Oregon. So he's going to be coming not only to speak to us about uh, Our Lady's important role in uniting the family and bringing peace and calm to the family, but also he's going to, he's a big believer in our, in the mission of Catholic Radio and what it can do. Okay. Now I want to say a little bit about the interview that I recorded with my brother Please and, and his, his wife a couple of weeks ago. They're very busy and we could only do it ahead of time. That's what's coming up in the second in part the second of the show. half. And it seems a little unusual. My, my brother is named Thomas Eugene. So I'm his godfather. I'm 12 and a half years older than he is. So I'm his godfather. And he's named after a priest, Father Thomas Kirby, who, who ministered to our family very much so when my father was off work and ill for a, an extended period of time. Father Kirby is the only priest I've ever seen who cried. And he cried at the funeral of a mother of a classmate of mine who, was, who had died of cancer. At the time, Father Kirby had throat cancer as well. And uh, shortly after this funeral, he was sent back from uh, where we were raised at St. Patrick's Church to back to Ireland so he could die with his family. He died at the age of 27, and he was a remarkable man. And uh, I, I really believe that the transformation that happened in my brother is directly due to his intercession because of his being uh, Father Kirby's namesake. So uh, it's... Uh, it's beautiful, Gene. I can't wait to hear more. Well, you will hear in a few minutes. Okay. And so uh, I don't know what else uh, What else is going on. we got about 30 seconds or so. Yeah, I think just please come to the uh, benefit dinner in the Brazos Valley. If, if you're here in that part of Texas, in our listening area, go to redsearadio.org slash benefit, and you can register for a table or purchase your tickets there. But on the other side, we'll be hearing from Tom and Esther Wilhelm. Yes. Have a great day, everybody. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have a couple of very special guests with me today. I've got my brother Tom and his wife, Esther, and they're going to be talking about their walk with the Lord, how they got into a walk with the Lord, and how that walk has taken them through their life. Hello, Tom and Esther. How are you? We're good. How about yourself? Just, I'm doing fine, thank you. I really appreciate your taking the time from your very busy schedule uh, to do this. Uh, 
for our listeners, I want them to know that we're pre-recording this uh, interview because of that busy schedule. So uh, thanks again. And Tom, uh, you are, uh, I believe, 12 and a half years younger than I am. And so I never really got to know you as well as I probably did our other brother and our sister. But you've had a very interesting life, uh, and it began not really close to the Lord. You You were both raised Catholic, but I mean... There was not that closeness there, was there? I really, uh, maybe as a little bit of a smaller child, I did have uh, somewhat of a relationship. But uh, as life went on and and you get into those teen years, uh, it was just uh, a quick drift away. Mm-hmm. How about you, Esther? Um, probably I kept my faith throughout my life and was pretty well, pretty close to the Lord most of the time. Not saying I always believe that it was worth it, but um, I pretty much um, was close to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, how long have you been married? 41 years. 41 years, and you have three children, and how many grandchildren? Four. Four grandchildren, that's great. And they're not all close at hand. You... You're doing some traveling to visit some of them, aren't you? We have one in South Carolina with her husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, we just got back uh, last or a couple nights ago from visiting them for the second time since they've been out there. Okay. Now, Tom, uh, when you two met in, in high school, right? At the very end of high school, yes. Okay. And then you went off after high school and you began working. You were working, what, at Star Furniture? Or Star Lumber, uh, I mean? Uh, immediately after high school, I worked for uh, the same company that our sister worked for for a little while, for Baker Engineering. They did hydraulics and pneumatics. And then uh, I did, uh, after we were married, I did start working at Star Lumber Company, yes. So were, were you a salesperson there, Tom? No. Uh, I ended up being the manager of the floor covering division there, um, the warehouse portion of that. Uh, so I was, a, I was a physical laborer. And you continued that until something, through a couple of things, until something happened to you that you couldn't do that anymore. Well, um, no, I did end my career uh, at Star uh, on my own volition, but uh, during the last couple of years of that, I had started uh, my own little side business, making custom-made area rugs. And so uh, I thought maybe I could make a living doing that. And, And we did make a living for a bit on that, but, you know, Health issues got in the way of that eventually and caused us to change our direction there. So what happened to you, Tom, so our listeners will know? Well, I had uh, a knee surgery and some back problems and uh, just wasn't physically able to do the stuff that I needed to do anymore. And you just never knew when it was going to you know, crop up and uh, make life miserable. And when you can't keep the promises that you make to customers, uh, you're going to have a lot of problems. And that's where we kind of ended up at. And then you had a couple of interim jobs, and then you got into this business that you're in now. Correct. I I tried to do a little bit of selling. Uh, I tried to sell Kirby vacuums for a while, and then I sold some appliances at a a nationwide retailer. uh, But I just didn't have that uh, 
killer instinct it takes to uh, really make uh, a living selling things. But then something came along that changed your life completely as far as how you were going to be go about supporting your family, and what was that? Well, we had an opportunity. Uh, one of Esther's cousins was a franchisor for a small regional pizza company, and he had a store that uh, he was wanting to sell, uh, and it was in a town about 45 miles from where we were living. And through a, a number of financial circumstances or windfalls or people helping us out, we did manage to get into the pizza business. And you were telling me one of those windfalls is one that uh, was also a windfall for me, right? That's correct. Uh, we had uh, an uncle and aunt that had no children and uh, farmed uh, some very rich farmland uh, west of the Wichita area. And after they passed and they uh, sold all their property. Uh, they had left like 25% to the church and paid all the taxes. And then each of us uh, cousins ended up with a big chunk of change. That's right. And it sure did come in handy, didn't it? It, it was definitely a blessing. Now, did you see that at the time as, as God working in your life through all? Oh, heavens, all... no. <laughs> <laughs> so only looking back at it now, you can see that, but you couldn't see it at the time. No. Uh, when you Sometimes you get wrapped up in uh, selfishness, self-centeredness, and greed, and and I thought life owed me that. Well, I think a lot of people do that, so it's not just you. Now, when you were in the little town of Marion, and for those folks, we haven't told them that they they live in Tawanda, Kansas, which is east of Wichita, Kansas. Correct. And then you were, you were in Marion, where you had this uh, Gambino's Pizza Parlor, and Correct. there were also some difficulties there after you moved your family, right? It's a nice small town if you're born there, uh, but we were kind of outsiders, and we were starting to have some success, and uh, our son was having some health issues and uh, struggling with uh, taking medication at school for epilepsy, and uh, he just didn't get treated very nicely, and uh, it made it very difficult for him. So how did, how did God help you work your way out of this particular difficulty? Um, well, we decided to open up another store in Tawanda, and and we wanted to move back to the Wichita area, and so that's how we we got away from there, and then we continued to open up a couple stores and sold the Marion store, and we had a total of five stores at one. Wow, that's that's a lot to take care of. Did did that work out for you? <laughs> okay. Not really. Not really. So again, uh, what happened? Were you getting a little uh, selfish again that uh, things didn't quite work out, or what happened? Oh, greed is a bad thing. We had uh, we had two stores, and we were uh, we were making some money, and you know that old thought of well, if two is doing this, what will four do? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, you know everything that we touched. Uh, after that, kind of turned into a pile of junk. But then, and, but you were able to get out from under that eventually, weren't you? Well, yeah, well, not without well, lots of issues. Uh, I understand. We now, ended up uh, 
selling one for 25 cents on the dollar that we had in it, and that same individual bought the other one, but he couldn't uh, get the financing on it, so we were carrying the money on that, and in less than a year, he filed bankruptcy, and we got holding, left holding the, holding the bag on that one as well. But then, but where was God in all of this for you? Were, were you uh, on your knees or feeling sorry for yourself, or what was going on? kind of convinced that God really didn't uh, care what was happening to me at the time. Uh, otherwise, why would all this stuff be happening? And, um, you know, I never never placed the blame uh, on that person I was looking at in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, life had uh, dumped on me and, you know, why me, poor me? Esther, where were you in all this? How, how was how were you taking all of this? Um, I wasn't taking it real well. I didn't know how bad it was for quite some time, and then and I but I would go to work and manage one restaurant or another, or you know put out this fire or that. And um, then when I I pretty much kind of went into a severe depression. Okay. because I couldn't see my way out. But eventually, uh, you had somebody come into your life that helped you get past these things, right, Esther? Yeah, I met a lady at our church, and she was just what I called a spiritual mother. And she was she would always listen and help me get through it and, and show me that God was there. Um, and then one day, it was a very cold winter day, and... Um, This man came into the restaurant, and I was eating lunch with a couple of friends from Wichita, and he started asking questions, and one of the questions was, is there a turtle club in this this town? And I kind of looked at my friends and kind of went, don't, you know, kind of looked at him like, don't leave me. He's kind of weird, and and, um, he said... Um, that they meet in old VFWs and old bars, and they meet throughout the Midwest and also down in Arizona and um, New Mexico. And I thought this was kind of strange question for him to ask us. And he said, "Um, did you know that um, a turtle cannot back up. And I said, no. And he says, well, I was teaching a, talking to a handicapped teacher the other day, and she was so upset because her kids were not learning like they were. she thought they should learn. So I told her to treat them like a turtle and that a turtle cannot back up. It has to turn around to go back. And... I thought, okay, and he asked, did you know that a turtle can't back up? And I said, no. And he said, when I was airplane pilot and I was flying, I could not turn around to see what was going on in the cockpit. I had to keep going forward, just like the turtle. And every time he said, just like the turtle, his arms would, his hands and arms would go in circular motion like the turtle. And so the phone rang. I ran to get it. and You were rescued. 
yeah. But I, it was an employee. I told her I had to go because I had a weird person in the store. And I got off the phone as he was going out the door, and he had told my friends that everyone needs spiritual direction, spiritual guidance, and needs to keep going forward like the turtle. And I sat there, and I almost started crying because I had said I didn't know if I believed in God. I had, or it was worthwhile believing in God before he had come in. And so anyway, after the ladies left and I got off my shift, we had mass at 5 o'clock that night, and I went over to church and the entrance antiphon for that night was from Proverbs. The words of, of the just man speak words of wisdom from God. And I was just kind of like blown away by that whole scenario. And I have been turtling ever since. <laughs> now, And that's what I call it. This uh, spiritual mother that you had, uh, she caused you to do something that really made a change in your life, correct? Yeah, she pushed me to go into Curcio shortly after that. And I did that and um, started working on team with um, Curcio. And I really felt God's presence in my life and started looking for it in my life after that and knew he was there even when I didn't want to believe that he was. Uh, yes. Tom, what did you think had happened to, to Esther when she started making Christine and got very busy in a lot of church stuff? She did, but um, at the point that I was at, uh, you know, that was fine by me because uh, then I could just kind of do what I needed to do or thought I needed to do to, to try to survive, and uh, it also gave me more opportunities to, uh, oh, let's say, uh, hide the truth from her mm -hmm. about our financial situation. And so uh, I really didn't have a problem with that so, for but, the wrong reason. But, but eventually somebody convinced you to make Crisio as well. Is that not true? Well, the same uh, spiritual mother that she had kind of started uh, almost not really nagging at me, but kind of poking me and prodding me and and uh, I was seeing some changes in Esther and, and how she was uh, handling life and that type of thing. And finally, I just uh, decided it would probably be easier to go than to keep resisting. Uh, I, I can agree with that from my own experience with Grisil. Yeah. So, But, you know, if you have ever uh, been on a Grisil weekend, uh, you find uh, this guy they call the Holy Spirit there. Mm -hmm. And I had never had any type of connection, to my knowledge, with the, that entity or that person of the Blessed Trinity before. So uh, I found something there that I definitely had lacked all my life. And you thought you were a good Catholic all along also, because you went to church every Sunday. Well, I, I at least made it look like I was a good Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, you know... I did an awful lot of things for a lot of years uh, just to keep peace and to make myself look like I was more than I was. 
Tom, when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about doing this, you said something that Crisillo was the initial conversion, and that was just the beginning. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit, that, that it wasn't all there, it was just a start? Well, um, I came out of Crisillo on fire uh, initially, and some things had happened, and uh, I was doing some evangelization, and uh, you know, I talked about the earlier problems with this gentleman that we had that filed bankruptcy on us. Well, about nine months after uh, the Crisillo's, when that actually happened, and uh, that just put me in a, a mental uh, tailspin, and uh, all that had happened in Crisillo just kind of went by the wayside. Um, I lost sight of the fact that God was working in my life and, uh, you know, got back into the why me, poor me mode. But but that didn't last forever because you mentioned to me that you had an experience of going out to western Kansas. And how did you get involved in that? Well, I did pick back up on Crisio and started doing grouping again. And... We had run across some individuals who were starting this, trying to start Crisio up in another diocese, and I kind of felt called to go out and help um, get that going. And I ended up in a van with two gentlemen who were driving out there that I had really never met before other than uh, at one pre-meeting before going out there to start this. And uh, these guys were talking about this other thing called Kairos. And, you know, I kind of expected them to be talking about Garcia and what was going to happen there, but they, they just couldn't, uh, couldn't shut up about Kairos prison ministry. And uh, we went ahead and went out there, and um, the Garcia weekend was, was a great experience. I was on the Polanka team and was in service, uh, you know, as you are in that situation. And then uh, on the way back, it was uh, more Kairos, 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 Kairos. And, you know, once you've been captured for eight hours in a van with these guys, it's kind of stuck in your head. So what did they tell you about Kairos, and how did that change your life? Well, they told, uh, you know, some stories about going into prison and uh, putting on these weekends that were similar to uh, Chris Cio, and that... Uh, they just were so on fire about it. I, I I had no option but to be interested to see what was going on there. And uh, their explanation of it was fairly vague, you know. And just like with with Crisio, they don't give you the whole nine yards up front, and you have to go and experience it to, to find out the, the depth of the thing. And, uh, you know, so I, I made a commitment to give that a try. And... Uh, you know, uh, the the weekend is like spending uh, 40 hours inside a, a prison. And uh, prior to going in there, I, I knew that I would be totally miserable if I went in there and I was still smoking. And uh, it gave me the incentive to quit smoking. And, uh, you know, so things started happening even before I got there. Now, was this in the El Dorado prison that you started doing this? Initially, I went to the Hutchison Correctional Facility, which is about you know, 45 miles uh, northeast of, or northwest of Wichita. Which would be about a 65-mile drive for you, right? That's correct, yes. So you, you, you cut your teeth there. 
And right. did, did you serve on the team a couple of times in Hutchinson before you moved on? I actually uh, did five weekends there. Uh, they do two a year. Uh, and here I'm sitting uh, at home in Tawanda, which is uh, eight miles from El Dorado Correctional Facility, which is the Kansas Supermax facility. And I'm thinking to myself, it's silly for me to drive that far, and why don't they have it over there? Mm-hmm. So were you the one that instigated that, and how did you get that started? I did. Uh, I, uh, there's a gentleman who got it, had gotten it started in Kansas, and he just was a, a little ball of fire. And uh, the thing about uh, Kairos that's different than Crisillo is it's uh, ecumenical. They call it non-denominational. And this gentleman was was actually a Methodist uh, individual who just was got it started, got Kairos started in Kansas and in Hutchison facility. And uh, he supported me and you know, gave me a little bit of direction and uh, and sent me on my merry way. Uh, and it starts out with uh, you know getting an appointment to visit with uh, the warden and and the uh, ministers that are there and uh, going through a checklist of things. And, you know, prison is uh, ruled by rules. And uh, so they had more than a lot of questions and some concerns, but the warden at the prison had come up from Texas, and he had Kairos in the prison he had there, so he was... He basically, at the end of that first meeting, he looked at everybody at the table and says, now, you guys make this happen, and left, and I really hardly seen him after that. <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, so did you have to assemble so, uh, They made it happen, but I had to jump through a lot of hoops. But uh, how hard was it to assemble the team to uh, begin doing this? Did you use a couple of the guys that took you up to Hutchinson to get it started, or what did you do? Well, the teams at the Hutchison had grown uh, pretty significantly, and there was uh, a number of us that were driving from the Wichita area to Hutchison to do it, and so quite a few of guys that had gone to Hutchison uh, would prefer to go to El Dorado because for them it was like half the trip. Yes. And so that was that was kind of how the, the base started, and then they started drawing other people in and... Uh, we had a couple of uh, Methodist ministers and, and one guy that was an Episcopalian minister that had done it somewhere else and ended up being on a team. And so we managed to squeak by and get a get a small team together uh, and get the thing started. Well, you did this for a number of years, too, didn't you? How many years were you in El Dorado? Well, um, I, I think I did the all but a couple of the first 16 weekends there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, I kind of put a pencil to it one time, and I, and I figured I spent close to nine months in prison but went home every night. <laughs> <laughs> you were recognized for your work, too, back in 2006, weren't you? Well, yes, I was uh, selected as the volunteer of the year at the El Dorado Correctional Facility for uh, getting this ministry going there. Okay, so that that must have made you feel like uh, the, at least somebody thought it was worthwhile. Well, uh, like I said, the warden had been very uh, very supportive, and uh, I'm sure he pushed that through as well. And uh, and you know when you walk in, and the uh, first thing you see on the wall when you're 
if you go through that first set of doors, slamming is your picture on the wall with your name underneath there with Volunteer of the Year. It, it does instill a little bit of pride in you. Yeah. Okay, you were telling me when we talked a couple of weeks ago that you found that the prisoners who made the Kairos retreats were probably as real as anybody that you've ever met. Well, in all honesty, and Daddy would probably roll over in his grave, but I found the greatest degree of God's love when I hang out with inmates, addicts, and, and alcoholics. And uh, the first weekend that I was on in Hutchison, you know, I, I was having a good time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, you go into prison, aren't you scared? And, you know, I never felt any fear. Uh, but there was, they have a closing that's similar to, to uh, Curcio, if you're yes. familiar with that. And they let these gentlemen that were on the weekend get up and give a little testimony and you know, what was your spiritual condition before, what happened, and how are you now? And two guys got up on the stage together and uh, shared a microphone, basically. And unbeknownst to us, they had sat back-to-back at tables. And one says that he was the uh, leader of the white supremacist gang within that facility, and the other one was the leader of the, uh, the premium black gang within that facility. And these two guys hugged on stage and swore on their grandmother's graves that they were going to start treating each other the way Christ would want them to treat them. And right then and there, I was hooked. Yeah, I, I can understand why, Tom. Esther, what were you doing through this whole period of time? Were you sitting at home wondering, what in the world has my husband gotten into? He's taking all this time away in addition to the business, taking time away to, to spend time in prison? Well, I was working on Curcio teams, and then um, they decided they wanted to start a Kairos outside in Kansas, which is for women uh, who have loved ones that are incarcerated. And it's a similar type weekend, only it's a little bit shorter. And I kept saying, no, I'm doing Curcio. Prison ministry isn't for me. No, no, no. And then I went to, I didn't go to the first closing that Tom was talking about, but I did go to the next one. And Father Beat, Jerry Beat was there, and these women that were wanting to start this Kairos outside were there, and they asked me to be on the weekend. And they had asked me a couple other times, too, and I had said no, no. (laughs) And I went and looked watched the closing, and it struck me in such a way that it was like, it could be you. And I was just kind of like blown away, like God was really talking to me that I needed to do this ministry too. So I started on the first, I was on the first weekend, um, and... I was a um, table server, something real simple, but it really changed my life, too, listening to these women get up and give their witness on the kind, how much the weekend helped them get back close to God, and it just was amazing 
that I could walk away and feel like I got more out of it than they did, just from listening to their stories, being with them, and spending a weekend with them. Well, so are you, you're still ministering in the Kairos outreach, right, or Kairos outside? Yes, I I am. I am not on this current weekend that's happening in next month, but I was on the last week, last couple of weekends. Um, I didn't have the time to do it this time, so um, although I know they could have used more help, but but are you? Are there also meetings uh, afterwards, follow-up meetings after the retreat? There are. There are prayer, sh- what they call prayer and shares, and and we have a couple of those that meet in Wichita. Um, and those are available for the women. That's interesting, too. Father B, was he your pastor at that time when you were in, in Hutchinson, or Tom? No, he... Uh... He was kind of out of the clear blue. We, I vaguely knew of him, but that was about the size of it. Uh, but when you get into the dynamics of a weekend and you see how he conducted himself and how the different denominations just worked together, concentrating only you know on the core values that are held by all the denominations, and how he made that work and also maintained, you know, his Catholic background. And, and you know, you've got uh, guys that are on these weekends that are from all different types of backgrounds. And uh, the very first one we had in uh, in El Dorado, we had a Muslim that attended, and, and that was an interesting uh, Now, you, interesting you mentioned to me that, that a Muslim in one of these retreats converted to Christianity. until he got it figured out. <laughs> now, is Father Pete was your pastor then afterwards? No, uh, he just was... Uh, oh, he's just somebody been in your life? Our spiritual mentor for uh, Curcio is where he originally started at. He was on our Curcio weekends as well. Mm-hmm. And, and he was the spiritual director for the Catholics in the, in the Kairos uh, segment of it. I mean, he would always make sure we had Mass available for us on Saturday night and... And, and that type of thing. So, he, no, he just was uh, somebody God put in our lives that uh, uh, moved us in the right direction. Now, Mar- now you've, you've moved on from Cairo's ministry, right, Tom? I have. Uh, how, how did that happen? Well, you know, as I spoke earlier, I, I figured I'd spent almost nine months in prison. And uh, they also have the follow-up weeks, you know, weekly uh prayer and share groups and and being self-employed uh, and having established the uh, movement I so to say in the El Dorado facility every time something came up uh, out of the clear blue uh, Tom took care of it and on the final weekend that I was there uh, I was the inside coordinator I was the prison liaison I kind of watching over the gentlemen who were in the servants uh, area. I had a talk. I was the uh, music minister, and somebody got sick, and I ended up with another talk. <laughs> and at the end of that, I, I just had made up my mind that, you know, nobody else was stepping forward, and uh, it was time for me to let go of those reins because uh, – 
these other individuals were not growing into that situation. And I just felt like God was telling me, you've done what you you were called to do. You need to let go of it. So in a sense, you were like Paul in that you needed to move on beyond where you were, and you knew God was telling you to do that. And it may be a little discouragement and a little anger helped move you along. Well, yeah, I was, uh, I, I was upset that, you know, they had become so dependent upon me that uh, you know, they were paralyzed without me. So you went into, you went into mu- directly into your music ministry after that, or were you doing music ministry all along, and then the music ministry sort of was where you uh, found your focus? Well, I, I've always loved music. I'm, a, I'm an old rock and roller, and uh, I am a, a poor musician at best and a fair singer at best, but I loved it. And uh, after, after the first, or after my Crescio, uh I wrote a song. And, uh, and after that, uh, as time went on, I kept getting more and more inspirations for songs. And uh, uh, I, I knew just enough uh, about chords and stringing them together uh, that I could get a melody. And I'd always kind of had a talent at... Uh, writing and rhyming and, and that type of thing. So the lyricist part of it uh, was probably the simpler part of it for me. Uh, but I, uh, over the next, you know, the first 10 years or so there, uh, I'd probably accumulated close to 100 songs that I'd put together. But I didn't really ever share them, you know. Now what, something that what encouraged I, you to begin the sharing of those songs, Tom? Well, I after I was done with... Kairos, I knew that I needed to do something different, and you know, you kind of sit there uh, wondering, and praying, and meditating, and I got this this strange feeling that God basically revealed to me that if you don't start sharing what I've given you, you can expect it to go away. Was that difficult message to hear? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, change your focus, um, a lack of confidence in yourself, uh, knowing that knowing that your your skills are limited, but having the desire to do it, uh, you know, you, well, I called myself Doubting Thomas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's what, that's it, and you, you have a website where people can find out more about you called DoubtingThomasRecords.com, correct? That is correct. And that that whole recording effort uh, came about too rather rather strangely, didn't it? I mean, you were, you didn't know exactly what you were going to do, and yet somebody came into your life that helped you get that going. Well, I, uh, I was at a pancake breakfast <laughs> in our little town here, and one one other gentleman that lives here in this town uh, was doing Kairos with me, and we'd become pretty good friends, and we were, uh, our wives and us were sitting there, and as we were leaving, uh, we ran into a gentleman who I knew was had been kind of in the music business um, in a country and western uh, format. And we were standing out in the street, and he pointed down the street and said, uh, I'm putting in a recording studio right down there, because he had kind of overheard us talking. 
and uh, it was like the big light come on, and you know I ran out of excuses. <laughs> how how many heel marks were there down the sidewalk as he drug you to the recording studio? Well, he didn't get me there right away. You know, I uh, I don't let go of anything without leaving uh, fingernail marks in it, yeah. and uh, it took a little while to get me there, but I did finally go. Now, you've also got some, beyond him, you've got another person that's involved that is kind of a gift as well, correct? Well, my, there's several individuals that have uh, helped with the, the recording end of this thing, but my friend uh, Jim here in town has really been a big encourager for me. Uh, he's Catholic as well, and and uh, he's he's always believed in me, and uh, he'd heard some of my songs as we went along. Time and he really encouraged me to 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 do this thing, and so uh, I'd have to say he probably he probably was the one that was doing the most of the kicking in my backside. Uh, and and uh, since you remember the same family as me, that often is the case that you need that. Well, sure. Um, you know, uh, you don't uh, come from a fully German background without having a a, a bit of a stubborn streak in you. Yes. You've, uh, you've, you've cut two CDs now. Uh, the first one was what, Doubting Thomas? Well, the first one was uh, The Lord is My Shepherd. Oh, The Lord is My Shepherd, correct. And the second, the second one, one is? one is Up, Down, All Around. Up, Down, All Around. Uh, I really Which get... was the first song you wrote ever. The, the title cut is the first song that I wrote right after Casio. The thing that I've noticed about your lyrics, Tom, is that they speak of some of the pain that you've been through and how God has helped you out of that pain? Well, um, you know, it's, it's a therapy for me, and it's also a prayer for me uh, in both aspects. Uh, you know, I have uh, been much less than um, a good Catholic, much less Christian probably for the first uh, 45 years of my life. And when you finally start to get this conversion and you look back at what you've done, uh, and you do that with uh, all earnestness, uh, it kind of takes the starch out of your shorts. You know, you, you can lie to yourself all you want. Oh, I wasn't that bad. Oh, I wasn't, you know, I was okay. And, but when you really get down to brass tacks and, and you sit down with a pencil and paper or a pen and paper and start writing out these things that you probably shouldn't have done or you know you shouldn't have done, and you look at that, uh, there's a little pain involved in that. Yeah, and, there is. Uh, the healing part of it uh, is that I have to look at myself every day because when you do, you're in a habit of not being godly for 40 some years or godlike, just going through the motions. It's real easy to slide back off on that path. So the songs help me to remember what I need to do, what I've come from, and that, you know, God has just blessed me beyond my wildest imagination. All that stuff that you sit around and dream about and think about and wonder why you don't have when you're not doing God's will start coming true. Esther, you were... The thing that happened in this is that we began tithing. And uh, 
ever since we started that, we've never been without a dollar that we needed. Mm-hmm. Esther, you haven't been uh, idle during this whole period either. You you went off and did something that you probably thought you couldn't do. Well, I was pretty sure I couldn't do it, but I... Tell people what it uh, is. I went back to school and became a spiritual director. Um, this friend that I talked about earlier, the spiritual mother, she had done that but thought she wasn't good enough, but yet she was always my spiritual mother. And um, I thought I couldn't do that. Tom convinced me to read this book from the movie Courageous, um, Resolution for Women. And I did that, and I was going through, and I answered the question, what would you do if you, you could? And nothing was stopping you. And I wrote down spiritual direction. And I firmly believed I could not do that because I didn't have a college education. Um, And then one of the next things that it asked to do was to ask three of your friends what what they liked best about you and why they kept you as a friend. And all three of them, in one way or another, said that I listened well. And then my boss comes along and says, um, sends out a memo, he's looking for spiritual directors. And you're working for the diocese at this time, correct? I was working Mm -hmm. at the diocese at this time, and I was like, well, I can't do that, and I shredded that memo. (laughs) (laughs) But you went off and did something that was very difficult. It was a three-year experience, and what did you have to do to get the training? Um, I went, I drove... I went monthly and drove three hours each way to Atchison, Kansas, to the Benedict, and took a class at the Sophia Center through the Benedictine College. And um, I did this for three years. I had to do practicums and practices every month, and I... After the three-year program was over, I was have a certificate in spiritual direction. And now I do spiritual direction on the side. I still am a full-time bookkeeper, HR person at the Spiritual Life Center, which is a retreat center in Wichita. But I also help others by doing spiritual direction in my spare time. Which you don't have a lot of. Right. <laughs> We've got about two minutes left, and I think it's... What I would like in that two minutes to, to tell, let you tell folks what they should be doing if they think they're in confusion and they think God may be telling them to do something and they don't want to do it. Get up off your backside and get busy. Um, if you think God's telling you to do something, you best do it because uh, what I have found is when I ignore him, I do not like those consequences. And God's designed you to be what it is he wants you to be. And if he's calling you, he'll take care of you. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. What do you have to say about that, Esther? Well, I agree with Tom. And, you know, I just gave the example of three times I was hit up to do the spiritual direction. God was calling me three different incidences, and man, when I 
see that third time, I know I better get it going because he's, that's what he wants. And I can put it off a couple times, but boy, by that third time, I pretty much know he's given me three times. I better listen. Thank you so much, Tom and Esther. I appreciate your being here. Again, Tom's website where you can contact him or find out more about him is DoubtingThomasRecords.com. DoubtingThomasRecords.com. I thank you so much for listening today. And remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of the world, always round up.